So if you want to turn into your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and I have a little bit of a confession to make. I am kind of an adrenaline junkie. You probably can see that through the types of jobs I do. I, I love firefighting. I love being a paramedic. And one of the things that kind of steered me this way when I was a kid, and some of the things I came to realize about myself and about being an adrenaline junkie is the love that I used to have for scary rides. I mean, how many people would go to a carnival and they'd want to get on the fastest, biggest, most tumbling ride that was at that carnival? Or if you go to Six Flags, get to the highest roller coaster, one's going to flip you up 15 different ways, try to make you lose your lunch on the person in back of you. I mean, it, by the way, if you ever go to, to Six Flags and you're not sure how you'll do, make sure you get in that front car. Just saying, I used to be a ride operator that would have to clean up. You want to get in the front car. I used to uh, really love scary rides. And when I was a kid, uh, growing up in Hayward, we had something called the Muskie Festival. Muskie Festival is a giant fishing tournament that focused on catching uh, muskie lunge, which is a type of northern pike. It's one of the biggest, it probably is outside of the stuff in Lake Michigan, the biggest freshwater fish that we fish here in the state of Wisconsin. And we'd have a tournament and prizes would go. And, and one of the things that I really loved was the fact that they had a carnival there. So I, I was about eight years old. My grandfather was a reserve sheriff's deputy for Sawyer County, and he would go and do security there, and he would go and uh, bring me along with him. And when I'd get bored, he'd buy me a whole bunch of carnival tickets for, so I could go on the rides. And I remember, you know, I'd get my t a whole row of tickets, and I'd go run for the biggest ride that they had there. And I was all excited, and of course, the biggest ride is the one that has the longest line, and so you could, you know, spend an hour in line waiting to get on this ride. And I'd, I finally got up there, and I hand the ride operator my ticket, and he looks at the ticket, and he said, that's the wrong color ticket. You can't get on this ride. This, this is a special ticket. You need the, you have a blue ticket and you need the yellow ticket. And he goes, besides, what, what are you, eight years old? And in, I was really short when I was a kid, so I was probably like as tall as this stool. And you needed to be about this tall to get on this ride. So I was just woefully under tall to get on this ride, to be safely secured in it. And I remember the, the feeling that I was just felt so let down that I couldn't get on this ride. And I just had this great expectation of a great time being flipped back and forth. And, and it was that, that, that expectation was just destroyed just because I didn't meet the minimal requirements they had for running this line or, or riding this ride. And in 1993, I kind of had my world rocked in a similar way that I did when I was a kid when I ran across some people on an assembly line that told me about the requirements to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I, I, it just kind of really messed me up for a long time because like many people in the world, I had been under the same delusion that thought, as long as you know my good outweighs my bad, as long as I'm kind of a good person, as long as I, you know, I, I go to church once in a while, you know, God knows my heart after all. He'll, he'll, he'll just let me into heaven. You know, I was kind of under that same kind of delusion that everybody else was. And as, so as part of our Kingdom Come series that we're in right now, we're going to be looking today at exactly what it does take to get into heaven, and that is the price to enter the Kingdom of God. Now God has a purpose and a mission for Kingdom citizens as they exist on this earth. So we're going to read today in Colossians 
about God sharing his, or excuse me, Paul sharing God's heart for all people. And he talks a little bit about the price for that in Colossians. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now all that here in Colossians is the mission, the plan and purpose for all, of God for all people. Now let's look at the verses that qualify us to participate in this kingdom that he's talking about and this mission that he's talking about. It's like Paul is saying here that, you know what, you get to participate in all of this goodness. You get to participate in all this mercy. You get to participate in all this favor. But it's, and all this stuff in the previous verses, it sounds really wonderful here. It's because of these next two verses. And starting verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you would just open our hearts this morning, that we would understand redemption, that we would understand the price that was paid for us to be able to become kingdom citizens, to step back into that which you originally called mankind to, and that is to be a child of the King. So Father, just do that in our hearts this morning. Give us willing ears to listen. Give us open hearts to accept the truth. And give us a spirit, Father, that will say, Amen, I want to live this. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's going to be our big idea this morning is to get a glimpse of the cost and get a glimpse of the idea of what had to happen for us to become kingdom citizens. First, let's look at our spiritual reality. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you, he, Jesus, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and who were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. So Paul here is describing a person that is a part of, from God. And oftentimes in our world, we try to, to minimize this. We say, well, you know, that person is, has a problem. Or that person, he, you know, they have some trouble. Or they just have, you know, some addictions. Or, or they just have these. That's not the way that Paul describes it here. Paul describes the person who is apart from Christ as dead. 
dead in their sins. They're not sick. They're not trouble. They are a follower of evil. They are a rebel against a holy God. They're walking according to the will of the prince of this world. Prince of this world is Satan. He says that not only are they, are they willfully being disobedient to God, but they are slaves to sin. They are slaves to their lust. They are slaves to wanting to do that which is evil. And he says that they are not children of God, but they are children of wrath. So what he's saying here is that in ourselves, we can't measure up by ourselves. You and I cannot possibly get to heaven on our own. We can't be good enough. We can't be holy enough. We can't give enough. We can't just do anything that's going to earn our own way into heaven. And you can kind of see through these scriptures is that just like I didn't have the right ticket to get on that ride in the carnival, nor did I have the height that none of us can measure up to the standards of the kingdom of God. None of us. And God has a universal call for all men to come to him to confess the truth that you and I are hopeless. And that if they are judged by his character, if we are judged by his holiness, that we have no possible hope in ourselves. But God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He calls all men to repentance. He calls all men to be saved. Jesus showed this through the parable of the uninvited wedding guests in Matthew chapter 22. And I'm just going to kind of tell you the story here. Jesus is speaking a parable here that the that a father invited his entire kingdom to the wedding of his son, especially all the nobles, especially all the, the cool people, the awesome people, you know, the, the people that would normally do these kind of things. He invites all these people. He gets absolutely zero RSVPs. Nobody comes. Okay, well, maybe the mail system broke down or something. So he sends out his servants to invite these people in. And still, none, nobody wants to come. He sends the servants out again. He says, look, this is going to be the party of parties. This is going to be everything. I mean, you, you think that Donald Trump can throw a party? This is going to be awesome. You're going to want to be here. Everybody that is going to be, that is anybody, is going to be here. You really want to be here. And the people again ignore him. In fact, some of them mock the invitation of the, of the father at this point. Some of them be, even beat the servants who invited them. Well, the king is furious. I mean, the king is like, wait a minute, these people are disrespecting me like this? I mean, don't they know the kind of party that I'm getting ready to throw? And he, he, the king's furious and he orders his army out to go and deal with them. Now, obviously, the, the, what Jesus is talking about here is the Jewish people rejecting their Messiah. But it's the same thing when we reject God's invitation toward salvation. Jesus goes on to say that the king then orders his servant to go out and invite everyone, even if they're diseased, uh, see, at the banquet hall to be full. I want my son to be honored. Therefore, I'm going to call everyone. It's not going to be just the chosen few. I am going to call everyone. And this is a picture of the church age. This is a picture of all the Gentiles coming to, to Jesus. And so their servants go out and they obey the command of the king and the party is just absolutely packed. I mean, everybody is, has a huge celebration, standing room only. Everybody's having a great time. Now, back in biblical times, there was a tradition that if you came to a wedding that the 
the, um, the father of the groom would have to provide you wedding clothes. And that was so that everybody at the wedding was, was considered an equal. Everybody was provided clothes. You weren't allowed to wear your own clothes to, because to do so showed disrespect to your host. And it was, it was a very, very grave insult. And so here the king is looking over this packed party, standing room only. Everybody's having a great time of fellowship. Everybody's just celebrating with all their might. And he sees one guy back there that doesn't have the wedding clothes on that he provided. He sees one person out there who rejected the generosity of the king. He looks, he looks back, on, back there and he's, he's looking at this guy going, how could this person insult me like this? How can this person do something that is so blatantly dishonorable to me? Because you know what that guy is saying? He's saying, you know what, I don't need the king. He's saying, I don't need his generosity. I don't need his mercy. I don't need anything about it. I am my own man. I can stand here with my own clothes. I can stand here in my own righteousness. I can stand here in everything that is, that is mine. I am a self-made man, and I can stand here on my own. Doesn't that kind of reek of spiritual pride? Doesn't that just kind of just, just spit in the face of God? Somebody who wants to stand out from the crowd? I mean, we see this today. We see, you know, Hollywood. You see the Oscars happen, and the, the first like three hours of the Oscars are all the uh, stars arriving and talking about the different things that they're wearing and, and how they're going to stand out from everybody else. And just it's that kind of still that self-worship that, that is um, trying to happen at, a, at an invite to the king's banquet here. And that's what happened is that you know the king sees this man, and he doesn't have the clothing on that was provided. And so this indicates that he has refused the free gift of the king. And those clothes in this situation indicate the salvation that is available through Christ Jesus. You know, you're not going to be able to crash the wedding supper of the Lamb. You're not going to be able to get in without the right clothes. Just like I didn't have the right ticket, just, I, just like I wasn't the right height, you're not going to be able to get in apart from Jesus. This is a reward supper. This is not just something that anybody can attend. The big idea here is that a man, this man represents a person who refuses to come to Christ, but tries to get to God apart from the God-appointed way through the born-again experience. Narrow, narrow is the way of salvation, and broad is the way of destruction. It is only through Christ Jesus. And just as Colossians 1.14 says, that's why you and I need redemption through the blood of Christ. We need to be redeemed. Now, redemption sounds like one of those big theological words that nobody has any idea what it means. So let me tell you what it means this morning. The idea of redemption is twofold. There's two facets of it, or there's two definitions of it. The first definition has to do with rescuing. It is redeeming or rescuing us from the punishment of sin. Now, when God created the Garden of Eden, when he created the entire universe, places Adam and Eden in the garden, tells them, don't eat of this tree. If you eat of it, the day you do, your soul will die. And that's what happened. They ate of it. They suffered physical death from that day forward. They started to die. And that is an absolute statement. When God says something like that, there is no appeal, 
There is no chance of parole. He can't change his mind. He said, I am not a man that I should repent or a son of man that I should change my mind. He said it. It has to be this way. So there's no chance of a pardon except through Christ. And it's interesting that that people who are universalists will try to sit there and say, well, you know, all the religions in the world are, are pretty much the same thing with different names in it. But all, no other religion in the world says the kind of things that Jesus Christ said. And what did Jesus say? No one comes to the Father but through me. No one. John 14, 7. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is exclusivity of Jesus. And when he said himself, he said all these other ways are the broad ways. All these other ways are the easy ways. But narrow is the road. Because there's only one way, and that name is Jesus. So, the, so he is our only rescue. And that is why missions and evangelism are so important because Everybody thinks is that we have this gigantic way to get to heaven, but it is narrow is the door to salvation. And we need to tell as many people as we can, and that's what next week is about with this community service, is getting out there into the community, inviting the community in, and saying that Jesus is the only way. Because we want to redeem as many as we can. We want to rescue as many as we can from this fallen world and this, this course of destruction that they are on. Now, there's a second definition to the word redemption, and that means to tear away. Now, Jesus didn't just save us from our sin. He didn't just redeem us and cover us with his blood, but he has redeemed us from the necessity of sin. And that second definition, meaning to tear away, means that he is tearing away our sinful uh, desires. Now, before a person is born again, they are slaves to the fallen nature. They have no choice but to sin. I remember when I was in my fallen condition, I had no choice but to sin. If there was a way I could, I could say something and curse, I would say it and curse. If there was a, a way I could, could use women, I would use women. If there was a way I could get drunk, stoned, high, whatever, I would do it. I had no choice because that was my fallen sinful nature. But once we become redeemed... We can inherit a new nature through the born-again experience that when we become born again, when I, when I spiritually knelt on my porch and asked Jesus into my heart, he reached in and tore out that sinful man and nailed it to death on the cross and gave me a new nature that wants to please God, that sees sin for what it is, that breaks the chains of sin and, 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 uh, and sinful deeds away from me. Not only does he, he rescue us, not only does he redeem us, but he also replaces something within us and puts us back on the course to where uh, God, man, or God met mankind to be. In Luke chapter 15, there's a prodigal son, and this is actually what I'm going to be preaching next week in the uh, service. I'm going to be going through the prodigal son and, and preaching this to the people of Whitehall. To kind of summarize the, to summarize the story, a boy of a rich man leaves his father, goes to his dad, says, "Dad, I'm treating you like now. I'm treating you like you're dead right now. Give me my inheritance. I want my half of the estate. Just give it to me." 
Father says, okay, gives it to him. He goes out, blows it. Blows it on partying, blows it on women, blows it on and drinking, just totally blows all the money. And he gets to the end of himself, and he, he's, he has to sell himself into slavery. And he ends up actually living in a pig pen. And finally, it's, the Bible says that he comes to himself. In other words, he finally opens his eyes and says, wow, look at the height from which I am fallen. Look, where I, look at what I have done into my life. And this coming to himself, in other words, in a 21st century way of looking at it, says he finally realized his stupidity. And he makes a decision. He says, you know, I know my father is merciful, and even the lowest servant on my father's house doesn't have to sleep with the pigs. If I go there and just even sell myself into slavery with my father, it'll be better than this situation that I have now. So he sets out, and he comes back to his father, and he kneels before his father, and he begs his father and says, have mercy on me. Just make me a servant in your home. I'm so sorry I broke your heart. I know I don't have a right to be called your son. And the father hears this confession. He hears this plea for mercy. And I want you to notice the incredible grace of God. You know, the father in this story represents how Father God treats us when we come back to him and kneel before him and, and ask for his forgiveness. Because the father in this story not only forgives his son, he not only rescues him, he not only redeems him and, and tears away the evidence of all that sin, but he restores his son back into his family. Matthew 15, 22, But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe, the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this is my son, and he was dead, but now is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to be merry. You see, God is not only a God of, rest, of redemption, he is a God of restoration. He restores us back in to the kingdom by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he does for all prodigals, or even for us every time we mess up and we ask for his mercy. Now he restores us back into what his original intent for us was, to be royalty. I don't know if you understand this, but you were born to be a son or daughter of the king. You are a prince or princess of heaven. That is what you were created to be. But sin strips that away from us. Because the Lamb of God has died, because Jesus took the punishment that we so deserve for rebellion against the king, we get to come back into the family just as we have never left. All of this is restored back onto us. And all of us at some point of our lives have been a prodigal, haven't we? If we're honest with ourselves. We've, we've wasted what God has given us. We've wallowed in the pig pen of this world. I know that I have. But the good news, the gospel, in other words, of that Jesus' resurrection proves that all of God's wrath has been poured out. 
If, if God's wrath had not been poured out, Jesus could not have raised from the dead because there was still something incomplete. That is why Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. So I want you to just take a, just take a moment. God just, God just spoke to me. I want you to just take a moment. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life right now. Maybe there's a, a besetting sin. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's just something going on in your life right now. Jesus said, it is finished. Not only the price that he had to pay, not only the punishment he had to endure, but that sin's power over your life. He said, it is finished. And if you think that thing has power over your life, it's a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus said it is finished. Period. And his resurrection proves you don't have to live like that anymore. But not only does God forgive us, not only does God accept us, but he puts upon us robes of royalty. Think about that for a moment. He places upon us the very robes that he wears, indicating our status before him. Think about the ring that he places on our finger. In, in modern terms, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But if you wore the signet ring of your father, you carried that same authority. You were immediately identified with him. That signet ring meant, you know who I am? Take a look. It says the Father God right there. He places that ring upon our finger, spiritually speaking. We carry his authority in his name. He places sandals on our feet. And this may go back to what I just said from, from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> in Bible times, slaves went barefoot. You could always tell who was a slave because they didn't have shoes on. Shoes were an indication that you belonged to a family, you belonged to a house. If you were barefoot, you were a slave. He places sandals upon our feet. What does that indicate to us? You're set free from that. You are no longer a slave to sin. He places upon you the readiness of the gospel of peace by placing upon you footwear that indicates that you are part of his kingdom. Because only a free man could wear shoes. And you are a free man if you are in Christ Jesus here this morning. You are set free by the blood of the Lamb. And the best part of this is this is not a position that somebody can take away from you. No one can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one. Angels, demons, powers, principalities, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know why? Because this promise was written in a piece of paper and a covenant, and you know what it was written with? The blood of the person making that promise. He is saying, just like I can't go against my own blood, I can't go against this promise. No one can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's only one way to enter into the kingdom, and that's through humbling yourself to see that you can't live up to kingdom expectations. It's accept the price that someone else paid for your salvation. 
In the story that I told you at the beginning of this message, I didn't meet criteria to experience the thrill of this carnival ride. But you know what? Through the blood of Jesus, you get someday to experience the thrill of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Through Jesus Christ, you get to experience the thrill of heaven. Imagine for a moment, I can't even, it says that mind is not even comprehended what heaven is going to be like. I can't wait until I get there to see this absolute beauty of God and his creation. So today we're going to remember and celebrate that God made a way. And that way was through the broken body of our Lord and through the promise of God that is written in his blood. And all these promises of restoration, royalty, and an invitation to the biggest party that's ever been held since creation, it came with a price. And we want to recognize that this morning. Keith, if, you're going to, if you could come up. We're going to serve you communion this morning. And we want to recognize the body and blood of the Lord. Father, I would ask, Lord, that you just make this a very somber time as we recognize the price that you paid for us. Not real, but not a, a time of a heavy heart, not a time of sadness, but a time of joy that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Because you did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world may be saved through him. So we want to celebrate that this morning, Father. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.